Hey, thanks for tuning in to the LNBC Students Podcast. My name is Taylor. I'm the student pastor, and you're about to listen to a sermon that I preached on what it means to follow Jesus. And we just set out to answer that question. We use the Gospel of Matthew to kind of answer that and see how he portrayed the disciples and what Jesus did with them and what that means for us. If we are going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, what does that mean and what should that look like and what should be our goal in that? So uh, this was a really important sermon setting up the next several sermons where we're going to talk about imitating the life of Jesus, being filled with the life of Jesus, and uh, really framing all of our Christian life around that goal. And uh, so this was, this was a really important sermon for that. And again, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, if you have your Bible, we are going to be journeying through quite a few passages today. So I would start in Matthew 4, and then bookmark Matthew 9, and then bookmark Matthew 28, and then bookmark John 14. Matthew 4, Matthew 9, Matthew 28, and then John 14. Okay? That way we'll be able to keep up with one another. So last week, we asked this question, who is Jesus? It's a question uh, that determines the whole trajectory of our Christian life. Who is Jesus? And of the many possible answers to that question, some good, some bad, and some downright awful, um, (laughs) we, we navigated what the gospel accounts present about Jesus. What we have in our Bibles are these four testimonies to Jesus' identity, and they're not all the same, although they point to the same Jesus, and there's different emphases with each. So Matthew emphasized Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. Uh, Mark emphasized Jesus as the King, the authoritative Son of God. Luke emphasizes Jesus as the Savior of all, not just Jewish people, but also all peoples. And then John really emphasizes how Jesus is... God in flesh. And so uh, we asked you to measure your understanding of Jesus's identity against that understanding. Maybe there's some views of Jesus that we have that are not necessarily lining up with the gospel uh, accounts and how they present Jesus. And in order to follow Jesus or whatever else we're going to do, we have to line up our understanding of Jesus with those testimonies. Um, But one important item that should overwhelm us about the identity of Jesus is the authority of Jesus. When When we think about who Jesus is, he is an authoritative figure. He is the Christ, the King, the Savior of all. And this beckons a response from us. Jesus just can't be a guy that you know of. And guys, I don't think we realize how much we treat Jesus like that. He's just a guy we know about or just a guy that's really easy to, you know, claim we believe in. But Jesus is a king that demands and beckons a response on our life. And I don't think it's any coincidence that shortly after Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ of God, 
Then Jesus goes into that famous passage. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus, once we realize who Jesus is, we in turn realize that it's a commission on our life. It is something that turns our world upside down. It calls us into this new reality, a new world where self-denial is self-satisfaction and fulfillment, where the true path to finding our life is losing our life for the sake of Jesus. And so we're called into this reality that is ruled by King Jesus. It's once we understand who he is that we are then commissioned into a reality where he is the ruler of our, our life. So continuing that line of thinking, we have to ask the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Really, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We, we have a lot of what you could say pre-downloaded assumptions about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, a lot of us think we showed up here, we're following Jesus, this is what it's about. We gather once a week to talk about him, sing about him. Um, sometimes we eat bread and juice and Somehow that's a symbol of him. That's part of following him. Um, we believe certain things. We don't believe other things. We watch these movies, not those movies. All of this is tied up in kind of our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And I think that's some of those things could be helpful and good, but some of those things maybe not. And so let's take the same scheme we kind of took last week, and it's what, is, what does Jesus say about following Jesus? What does Scripture say about following Jesus? And we could spend, I promise you, we could spend weeks and weeks pointing to different Scriptures and really look at a lot of different things. But I want to walk us through those passages I mentioned because they've been really influential for me in framing up how we're going to launch the rest of this series. So uh, Matthew 4 is where we'll start. But before we do that, let me just pray and then uh, we'll settle in here, okay? Father, rid our minds of distractions, center us down to just focus on you and to really contemplate this call that you have put on our life. Comfort us only by your spirit and challenge us only by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew 4, give you some background here. Uh, Jesus went into the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days, uh, which is miraculous and crazy. He was tempted by the devil, successfully said no to all the things the devil offered him. And then the account ends with, and then angels came and started ministering to him, which is pretty cool. Uh, I would love to see what that looked like. Um, but now Jesus has begun his public ministry in the book of Matthew, and he's going around saying, repent which means turn around, change your way of thinking, because the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. And that's his message. That's what he's been doing. So look at verse 18 now. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, 
and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus sees uh, one set of brothers, tells them to follow him, and they do. Then sees another set of brothers, does the same thing. Now, this was not uncommon for the time of Jesus. This was not really a unique thing that Jesus was doing, going around and asking people to follow him. In the most basic sense, one of the most prevalent titles for Jesus was that of rabbi. Does anyone know what rabbi means? Teacher, right? So Jesus was a traveling teacher in one of the most basic sense of that word. And what these rabbis would do is they would go around and they would have followers following them around. Um, and they would teach and do all these things. Now, there was a certain progression to how a rabbi would gain followers. There was a pr- very prestigious kind of way of schooling uh, that would get them through. We won't go through all of those things. But in order to be following a rabbi, you had to be a pr- prestigious scholar with the scriptures. And to follow a rabbi was a big deal. It was a really big deal. And yet, what we see here is Jesus calling fishermen who probably flunked out of the prestigious uh, rabbi school, and calling them to follow him. So what we see is Jesus calling these dropouts, these people who were not qualified in any normal sense of the discipleship program, and calling them to follow him. And so at the prospect of this great opportunity, they're like, yeah, absolutely, we're going to follow Jesus. Now, what specifically does Jesus call them to do? He calls them to follow him so that he can make them into something. He calls them to say, hey, follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. Following Jesus was an act of surrendering to a process of becoming more like him. In in one of the most basic sense of following a teacher, this is what he was going to do. He was going to make you into something. And what he was going to make you into is more like himself. When Jesus says, I'm going to make you into fishers of men, this was not a bad joke. Like, this was not a bad dad joke. Like, hey, you're fishermen. Why don't you come fish for men? And no, that's not what Jesus is doing, although that's often how we read what Jesus is doing. No, fishers of men was a common way to talk about really good teachers. Back in Jeremiah 16, it was also possibly a title for the Messiah. And so Jesus is saying, hey, come and be made like me. Come into the process of becoming like me. He's going to train them as followers or as apprentices, as disciples to do what he did. And it's nothing less than that. It's not just come and download some teaching, some secret to the universe, some moral code. He says, no, come and do what I am doing. So this is what a disciple follower of other rabbis would do at that time. They would seek to be by their teacher's side, learn all of his little movements and little weird nuances to the things that he would do. And they would become like him in all of his ways. And then ultimately, the goal was for them to grow to do what he did. That's what it meant to truly follow a rabbi. And this is what Jesus has in store for his followers. To follow Jesus means that you'll become more and more like him and grow to do what he did. So to follow Jesus is not simply to agree with Jesus, although that's part of it. 
It's not simply to know about Jesus, although that's part of it. To follow him is to become more and more like him so that you grow to do what he did. So the story continues. And what we see in the next portion of Matthew is really, really important. This is what Matthew says. He says, he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond all the Jordan. What's really interesting is verse 23, right there, that top verse, is really important for Matthew's gospel because he repeats the same verse again later in chapter 9. But it highlights what Jesus did. If you were to ask the gospel writer Matthew, what was Jesus doing? What was he about? What was he doing? This is how Matthew summarizes it. He was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and healing people. Uh, chapter 9, it's the same thing he says. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So Jesus taught. He preached. I always thought it was really weird. Like the past tense of teach is taught, right? Well, the past tense of preach is not prot, but it should be. It would make it very easy, but it's preached. But you don't say teached. No one else is disturbed? Okay, just me. Okay, so three things Jesus did. He was a teacher, a preacher, and a healer. He went around teaching, preaching, and healing. That is one way that Matthew summarized his work and what he did. So, if our basic understanding of following Jesus is correct, right, what do we expect his followers to be doing? We expect them to be teaching, preaching, and healing, to go about doing the same work. If being a follower of Jesus is about surrendering to Jesus for him to make you more like him, and this is what Jesus did, then we should expect to see his followers doing the same thing. So is that what we see? When we look through the gospel of Matthew, is that what we see? Well, interestingly enough, yes, This is what we see in the next portion of uh, Matthew 9. When Jesus, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So this is like a pivot text. For Matthew. Jesus sees the crowds. He has compassion for them. And then he turns to his disciples. And this is actually a great uh, verse to show what the rest of Matthew is doing because that's what we see throughout the rest of Matthew's gospel account. Jesus really focuses in on mentoring and training his disciples to do the work of the ministry. So he, Jesus is about to send out his disciples in chapter 10. So let's see what happens. Verse 1, chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Matthew then names the 12 apostles. Skip down to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, 
go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. In other words, just focus on the people of Israel for right now. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You've received without paying, give without pay. So, I've underlined the scripture up there for you. But as Jesus is sending out his disciples for the first time, what he's commanding them to do is to proclaim the gospel and heal people. So these, these are two things that Jesus did. He is sending his followers out, his disciples out, to do what he did. Um, now, what about teaching, right? I read this and I was like, well, I guess Jesus is the only one who teaches. But um, when you fast forward to the end of Matthew's gospel, the next time that Jesus sends out his disciples, it's that famous passage from Matthew 28. And notice something. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. This is after his resurrection. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So there's a lot to unpack there. It's a famous verse. But I don't think that it's a coincidence that Jesus sends his followers out to teach. It is as if they are now being sent out to do all the things that Jesus did. Not only will they proclaim the gospel as Jesus did, not only will they heal as Jesus did, but they will also teach as Jesus did. So, the last passage of Matthew shows that Jesus has made his followers into disciples, and as his disciples, they will now go out and do what he did. They will go out and teach and preach and heal. So we return to our question right at the, the outset. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, in exploration of kind of Matthew's gospel, which has sometimes been called like a manual for discipleship, this is the answer, I think, that kind of hits home. To be a follower of Jesus means to imitate the life of Jesus, to do what he did. I think if we start shaping our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus in terms of imitating his life, then we'll be on the right track. However, there's much to say about how we are to imitate Jesus. Because if we just left it there, and we just said, all right, go out and be like Jesus. Have fun. I'm sorry, but that's crippling. You're telling me I'm supposed to be like Jesus? And you read Jesus' life, and you're like, I can't even pick up my clothes like I'm supposed to. You expect me to love like Jesus loves? I'm saying that. It's a very specific place that's stepping up mad at me this week. Just pick up your clothes, Taylor. I was like, I can't. I'm so broken. But we're so incapable of doing even the simplest measures of virtuous things in and of our own strength. It's so evident to me. But how we imitate Jesus, there's more to it. There's some more clarification. So think about this. If there was someone, you know, you were going to imitate, how would you go about imitating that person? 
I don't know, who's someone that you guys want to imitate? Um, Levi, who's someone you want to imitate? Keanu Reeves? Okay, so say you want to imitate Keanu Reeves. Really respect his movie career and The Matrix and all the other stuff. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is Neo in Matrix, right? Wow. Anyway, okay, we're not going to get into a whole thing about Keanu Reeves' movie career. But if that's truly what you are going to do, shh, if you are going to go about shh, following Keanu Reeves and imitating him, whatever you would have to do, at the very least, you're going to have to spend a lot of time with Keanu Reeves. You are going to have to be in that man's presence all the time. You're going to have to catch, you know, how does Keanu Reeves eat his eggs in the morning? Or maybe he doesn't eat eggs. Maybe he makes a smoothie. And it's probably got super expensive, like, vitamins and stuff or, like, superpower stuff. And, you know, I don't know. But, like, you are going to match his lifestyle. And the only way that you're going to match his lifestyle is by spending a lot of time with him. In other words, you have to be saturated in his presence <laughs> Now, let's shift to Jesus, okay? So we can get off this weird imagery with you being in Keanu Reeves. Yes, being saturated by Keanu Reeves. But it's the same of imitating Jesus. If following Jesus is about becoming more and more like him so that you can imitate his life, then we will have to be saturated with his presence. The important thing to note is that this is what Jesus emphasizes when he sends out his disciples. At the end of that verse, it's, he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, that's not just some sentimental way for Jesus to say goodbye. He's not just like saying, and I'll always be with you, and then he fades into the clouds. Although that's a nice sentiment, even more than that, this is a declaration to his disciples about where their power will continually flow from. He is giving them a statement about how he will continually empower them to do what he's called them to do. So if they are going to go out and make more disciples, baptize them, teach them, they will need to be with Jesus constantly, forever and ever. If they're going to continue to imitate him, then they'll need to continue to be with him. If they are to be followers of Jesus, they will need to practice the presence of Jesus so as to become more and more like Jesus and continue to do what he did. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means that we will live the life of Jesus as we are filled with the life of Jesus. Followers of Jesus are filled with the life of Jesus to become more and more like Jesus and therefore imitate his life. Because we can only imitate Jesus. We can only live his lifestyle and do what Jesus did out of the overflow of this process of becoming more like him by being with him. Being with Jesus. Again, guys, this is... This is so foundational for you if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. You have to understand that this is the goal for you to do what he did. And you have to understand that Jesus has empowered you to do that by becoming more and more like him, by being with him. 
Jesus has not left you or abandoned you. He's still with you. He's still here. And John 14 is a really important passage, I think, that kind of unpacks that. You're like, Jesus is still with me. It's kind of weird. What does that even mean? What does that even look like? But we see the same progression in John 14. Uh, We're going to read a large chunk of this. So you can follow on the screen or follow on your, in your Bible. Jesus is about to leave his disciples. This is called the farewell discourse. This is what he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, but it is so that he can come back and prepare a place for us to be with him. Then Thomas, uh, Thomas always asks, asks really good questions, and so Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we need to emphasize this really quick. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, we often think about that in terms of Jesus is the way to get to heaven. Like Jesus is the path to have eternal rewards. Like Jesus is the rainbow to the pot of gold at the end or whatever. Like Jesus is the road for me to get what I want. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is what we want. Jesus is the way. If you want true life, he must be your life. If you want to know the way of life, he is the way. If you want to know what your true humanity is all about, if you want to be truly human, feel like you're truly alive and live life to the fullest, Look to Jesus and find everything in him, nothing less. So Jesus is saying that that true life is in him. Following Jesus, think, just remember this. Following Jesus and being a follower of Jesus isn't about using Jesus to get what we want. It's not about using Jesus to get to a place where uh, you can just get all of the rewards for your good deeds. Following Jesus is about being more like Jesus, because all of life is about Jesus. So to follow Jesus means to live his life after him, because he is the life. Verse 7, Jesus says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me 
will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Listen closely there. To believe in Jesus means to do the works of Jesus. To believe in Jesus means to do the works of Jesus. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. To love Jesus means to obey Jesus. Pause. Think about that. This is a high call. If you truly love Jesus, if, we, if I say I truly love Jesus, then my life will be a representation of what he did. My life will be a life of obedience. Not simply of saying, I believe this, I believe that, I believe this. But I live in this way. Jesus loved in this way, and I loved in this way. Jesus sacrificed in this way, and I sacrificed in this way. Jesus did not gloat over his enemy's downfall. He died for his enemies. Jesus did not wait for us to ask for forgiveness. He extended it first. Jesus did not want everyone else to just feel like a victim in life so I could feel, he could feel good about himself. Jesus paved the way of love and sacrifice and mercy. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, that's what our life should look like. If we love him, then we'll obey him. If we believe in him, we'll do the same things that he did. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Because right as we think about that high call of, I'm supposed to live like Jesus. I'm supposed to confront injustice. I'm supposed to be bold enough to tell the truth, but also gracious enough to do it with gentleness and kindness. Like, I just... How, how much I would fail at that if I was on my own. But Jesus says, no, I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you the power to do this. I'm not leaving you on your own as orphans. He says, I'm sending you another helper, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Just like Matthew, Jesus in John is calling his followers to follow him by being empowered with his presence. And so he's going to send that counselor. He's going to send that helper, the Spirit of God. But this Spirit is, in fact, Jesus himself and the Father dwelling in you. Look at verse 20 and just think about that. He says, Jesus is saying to his fathers, you'll know that I'm in the Father. I'll be perfectly united with my Father. And you will be in me. And I will be in you. That is perfect union and communion with Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you will be empowered to do what I'm sending you out to do because I will be with you. I'll be not only with you, but in you. I will remake your heart of stone into a heart of flesh where we will go through the process of becoming more and more like me together. 
And you will grow to be more and more like Jesus as I am in you and you are in me. And then just one more time to emphasize this. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Followers of Jesus are filled with the life of Jesus to become more like Jesus and therefore imitate the life of Jesus. Nothing less than that. If we're going to gather in this space, if we're going to continue to say, Jesus is Lord, if we are going to continue to sing, worthy is your name, if we are going to continue to call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus, this is what we're called to do. I'll be honest with you guys. I don't want to be about anything else. I don't want to waste my time on anything else in this life. I love to, you know, nerd out and on, on some Hebrew, draw some diagrams on a whiteboard. I love it. But at the end of the day, if we are not being filled with the life of Jesus to become more like Jesus so that we can imitate his life, we're just wasting our time. I'm reminded this week, you know, there was another suicide at Huff this past week. There's another student your age going through hard, difficult things. I don't know all the details. And it was so hard and it was so difficult. And he was so broken and hopeless that he just ended his life. Now, in one sense, she's just, man, that kid needed Jesus. He needed to know that Jesus was the life he was meant to live. But at the same time, we're huddled in this room, and was there an ever opportunity for us to be Jesus to him? Was there ever a moment we crossed paths with that kid, and we could have been Jesus to him? I don't know. But I'm, I am willing to give it a shot for the next 100, 200, 300, thousands of people you cross every day. I cross every day. I'm willing to devote my life, surrender my life so that people see Jesus in me. And we can't be about anything else. We don't have time. Other people don't have time. And look, we're going to challenge you guys over the next few weeks. I've been, <laughs> been challenging myself. Jesus has been challenging us about what it means to really live this life as a follower of Jesus. And yeah, I think we're going to ask you to do some things that might be hard, it might be difficult. And you guys already know it's difficult to follow Jesus. Right? I, I know it's not easy. You know, some of you are going into a context where you are the only one who claims to follow Jesus. And goodness gracious, that's hard. I can't imagine. You know, I get to give, I get to get the approval for following Jesus. I do it for a living in some sense, right? You guys are going into territories and environments 
where it's not only weird, but you may feel ostracized or, or whatnot, and it's not easy. But that's why we need each other. This community needs to be strong. Not simply so that we can have a fun, good time and feel good about ourselves for an hour and a half, but so that we can encourage one another, lift one another up, be the life of Jesus to each other so that we could be continually sustained with the love of God. And not only for this room, but for the broken communities that we exist in outside of this room. And we do. We come across that brokenness. And I'm not saying that this place shouldn't be a place where, where you can uh, be, be broken and be vulnerable. And we, we can go to, you know, work on our souls together in this room. I would say, yes, that's true. This should be a place where you can mend what is broken in your heart and continually be in, uh, encountering the love of Jesus. But that we, what we do in this room is for what happens outside of this room. And in one very real sense, it's to extend what happens in this room. And so at the same time, if you're broken, if you need healing, if you need hope, if you just need life, let this be a space for that to happen. Let that be an honest concession, confession that you need help. And then lean into the arms of Jesus who is here to help you. Let that be this space. And look, that's not about me. That's not about me being that to all of you. That's about all of us being that to one another. So I'm going to pray. We're going to have an opportunity just for you to sit quietly at your table to reflect on what it means to follow Jesus. And then uh, we're going to sing some songs, and they're going to be songs that declare who we want to be and what we want to be about. And I encourage you to let that be a prayer. Let that be a dedication to God. Um, but I'll pray and then give you guys a few moments in the quiet. Father God, you've called us to follow you. And I pray that we just surrender. That we would have a spirit of letting go and just trust in you. We would trust in the process of being made more and more like Jesus through the new heart you've given us, through the spirit giving us new practices to follow Jesus. And God, just go to work in our hearts. Even in this moment now, may your spirit be at work. In Jesus' name, amen. Just take a few moments.